0: Hey guys, it's Jackson. Quick disclaimer at the top of the show. In this episode, we had some technical difficulties and our equipments decided to cut out on us in the middle of the episode. So um, it is an abrupt stop, but we thought it was good conversation. So um, we're going to keep this as an episode. We will be doing a follow-up part two with Pastor Nate and Chris Hume. So be looking forward to that. So without further ado, our discussion on Theonomy.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to episode 52 of the Super Reform Bros Podcast. I'm Alex. And I'm Jackson. We're bros. And we're reformed. Super Reformed. Uh, so guys, we have a, a very exciting podcast today. It's uh, probably going to be the best one yet, if I'm you know, being honest. Oh, so, definitely. Uh, we have two really awesome guests on, um, Pastor Nate Graham and Chris Hume. Thank you guys for coming on.
2: Glad to be here. Thanks for having me.
1: Uh, So, Pastor Nate really needs no introduction. We already had him on before. If you guys listened to our previous episode on Credo Baptism, you know. Uh, If you haven't, go check it out because it was a really good episode. But uh, newcomer to the podcast, uh, Chris Hume, uh, hey, could you tell us a little bit about yourself?
2: Absolutely. Uh, By the way, I did listen to that episode Uh with Credo Baptism. It was very good. Uh, I had to change my audio. Is my audio coming in fine?
0: Oh, Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're good. You're good.
2: Yeah, well, my name is Chris Hume, as Alex said. I used to live in Delaware, uh, so I know Nate, Pastor Nate, and I actually met Alex Mm -hmm. several years ago, but I'm currently in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. I'm the managing editor of The Lancaster Patriot. We are a small uh, media company. Uh, We do news and commentary, and uh, we try to cover the happenings here and throughout the nation, and we also try to provide a biblical perspective Applying the Bible to all of life, applying the Bible to the news. So that's a little bit about what we're doing up here in Lancaster County.
1: Awesome. So that's really cool. The topic for today is theonomy and honoring Christ in the civil sphere, right? Um, So, um, Chris, could you? There, a lot of people don't know what theonomy is, you know, or even the the ideas. Could you give a? um, As you're you're the you know, uh, defending theonomy uh, today, or, or f- a form of it, in a sense, right? Would you say that? Would you Would you call yourself a theonomist?
2: Yeah, I, I don't have a problem with the term theonomy. I think one of the things that happens uh, a lot is is people say, well, well, what form of theonomy do right. you hold to? And um, I don't think that's necessarily... I think that can be a fair question. I think sometimes it's not, because mm-hmm. um, it can be turned around the other side someone who says they're not a theonomist, and I can say, okay, what form of non-theonomy you hold to. Right, so, right. The issue here that I want to talk about is how is Christ honored in in the civil sphere? Obviously uh, I think we agree Christ should be honored. Mm-hmm. I hope we agree on that. And the question is how. So I don't have a problem with the term theonomy. It simply means God's law. Now of course there's different perspectives people can put on that. But if I had to start to try to give an explanation of my understanding, it would be that Christ is king overall. All right, Christ is, is Lord. He is Lord of my life. Now, mm-hmm. whether I recognize that or not, he is Lord. Um, by the grace of God, I have come to recognize that. But He, all authority has been given to him in heaven and on earth. So he is to mm-hmm. be honored and recognized and obeyed by every person in every sphere, whether you're a, a, a homemaker, uh, you know, a, a school teacher, or a civil magistrate. Whatever, you, whatever you're doing, you need to honor Christ. Uh, And and the second point that I would go to from there is there is an ethical standard by which all men are to be judged, including in the civil sphere. So there is an ethical standard by which I am judged as a husband, as a father, and that's the Word of God. I'm going to be accountable to that, how I've conducted myself as a husband, as a father. Christ will hold me to account according to the Word of God. Uh, There's a standard for pastors, and there's also a standard for civil rulers, And the position of of theonomy generally has been that the the ethical standard laid out in all of Scripture is applicable to the civil sphere, right? Now, there are changes that have been made throughout Scripture, but generally speaking, uh, the theonomist would argue that the the Scripture itself has to define what those changes are. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, we might get into some of those things, which would be a good discussion to have, Mm -hmm. but I would start by saying... That the word of God is sufficient to direct uh, the civil magistrate on how he is to conduct himself, on how society is to be ordered, and that does not is not limited to the New Testament. The Old Testament is also profitable for ordering society. So I, I would start there. There's many places we could go. Um, the issue of capital punishment, the issue of what should be crimes, the issue of what the punishment should be—all these things are issues within the theonomic discussion if you will and and even outside of it and that's kind of my point we need to talk about these things i think we should be uh regardless of what labels we want to use what 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 sins should be crimes what does the state have authority to punish uh what should the state be doing and uh, when when has the state gone beyond what christ has authorized Hmm. it to do so i think that's a place to start that's where i'd start and then we could drill down into some specifics
1: Okay. Cool. Cool. Um so uh Pastor Nate, you are taking the opposing view of uh, uh a- against theonomy. Uh you wrote a paper, right, on this recently? Was that recent or how recent was that?
3: Uh, a few months ago. Yeah. A few
1: yeah. months ago. Okay. Um I did I did not get the chance to read it. Jackson read through it though. What? Um, I yeah, did, no, yeah. I, I didn't. Sorry, that was a good paper. but yeah, he said he said you made <laughs> some lot, good points. Yes, in. yes. Um, so, uh, yeah, could you just kind of give us an overview of of your um, yeah, just so opinion we can see on where on you're coming from? Mm-hmm. Yeah.
3: Well, kind of. Um, just before I do that, a backstory. The last time we were on, um, I said, hey, you should have me on again to discuss theonomy, and you said, I think I remember correctly. Oh yeah, it'd be good to have like an actual theonomist. And the first person that came to my mind was Chris. Mm-hmm. And Chris, I think I met you when we were doing a sidewalk counseling outside Planned Parenthood. Is that when I first met you?
2: That sounds right.
3: Okay. Um, so, so I think that's helpful because here you have a, you know, a person like myself who doesn't identify as a, a theonomist. and then Chris who does, and more and more people because it's all the rage right now identifying as theonomy. Um <laughs> But we're both realizing, yeah, the Word of God uh, has a lot to say about the sanctity of life mm-hmm. and, um, and a whole assortment of issues in the civil sphere, and the government, so on and so forth. So, uh, just on a very practical level, you know, uh, Chris and I are united, um, you know, on, on these particular issues. Right. Um, so, I would call myself a, a principalist. And basically what that is, is I do not believe we are under the Mosaic Law anymore. I believe the Mosaic Law was an element of the Old Covenant. And so when we're done with the Old Covenant, we're done with the Mosaic Law. Um, But there are universal moral laws um, within the Mosaic Law that existed before the mosaic law that obviously exists after um and um, discerning those you know there's obvious ones of um, i would say most if not all the ten commandments the debate is over the sabbath but pretty much all the ten commandments are are moral laws they're universal Hmm. um but then there are you know more specific laws like the Numbers 5 adultery test and various things, like, should we bring in that you know, mm-hmm. back in the court system? So there's, there's other more specific questions, you know, um, we should be asking. Um, so I, I would be all for the Mosaic Law. In fact, um, I, I just decided to write my dissertation on how the Mosaic Law informs um, how a Christian should conduct their family. Um because I think the Mosaic law has a lot to say about that, but I'm going to do that without saying we're under the Mosaic code. I'm going to do that recognizing the universal principles articulated within the Mosaic law. But I guess a, a, a good um, a good question to go from here and, and uh, one for you, Chris, is my understanding of, of classic theonomy. Like if I go to John Frame, Greg Bonson, Gary North, even John Murray, uh, Rush Dooney, um, these guys argue that we are under the mosaic system. And then I mean, I, I have quotes here where they define you know their their view. and that's, you know, you have um, Bonson famously going to Matthew five eighteen, that um, the Mosaic law. Is, um, he interprets fulfilled as established, you know. But um, it's funny, as I was kind of, you know, putting some stuff together for this talk, I found one of your articles online, Chris, where it was like a Baptist critique of a Baptist or something like that, which was a really good article. But you said in the article that we're no longer under the Mosaic Law. So I thought, oh, you're like... A newer expression of theonomy, not necessarily classic theonomy, which means that you and I are way more on the same page than I thought. So am I, am I reading that
2: correctly? Yeah that, that's a great point. Um, and as, as a Baptist, there's a lot of things I disagree with um, with Pato-baptistic arguments. So mm-hmm. the way I would explain it is we are we are not under the Old Covenant. Right? The Old Covenant has ended, and we're, we're in the New Covenant. And I, and I think, you know, the classic theonomists would agree with that. Um, the, so then when, when you say, you know, we're not under the Old Covenant stipulations, um, I, I agree we have been, we're under the New Covenant now, but the moral law mm-hmm. preceded the Old Covenant, and in the Old Covenant the moral law was applied. Uh, and then after the Old Covenant the moral law remains. So if there were specific, you mentioned Numbers five in the adultery test, and mm-hmm. um, I believe in there there's the, the priesthood is involved or there's a Levitical system. Uh, clearly we, we no longer have that. So uh, one one of the things that, that I don't know if that answers your question. I would I would say we are not under the old covenant, we're the new covenant. But that yeah. that does not um, nullify or negate the fact that the civil magistrate must obey the moral law, right. and the question is, can we go to the Old Covenant scriptures and see how the how the moral law was applied? Yeah. And can we take the principles? You mentioned you're a principalist, and this is one of the things where I think we talk past each other a lot, and uh, Vern, Vern Poythress, for example, is, is a guy who doesn't identify as a theonomist, mm-hmm. but, but he'll, he'll, he's trying to deal with the text, and he comes out and even says that, you know what, maybe homosexuals uh, and, and these other people guilty of sexual sins, maybe they should be put to death um, and so so he, the, the the place he comes to is similar, but maybe he gets there in a different way. so hmm. I would say we 're not under the old covenant we 're under the new covenant, um, but uh, we still have the same moral law
3: mm-hmm.
2: How do we apply it is the question yeah so and, and i
3: I agree with that. Um, I guess my question is if classic theonomy is predicated on being under the Mosaic Law, then why do we continue to call ourselves theonomists when it's such a... Like, that's what made theonomy such a big deal when it was born, was you have people arguing we're still under the Mosaic system. So now it's like, you know, Doug Wilson is popularizing this idea of theonomy, but then as he articulates it, you know, he he clearly says we're, we're no longer the Mosaic Code, and to me, it's like, well, you just jumped off the classic Theonomy train, so there should be a different label for it. Because it, as I see people jumping on board, they're picking up Bonson, and they're picking up Gary North, and they're picking up these guys who are going to be trying to convince them hmm. that we're still under the Mosaic Code. So seems well, like there should be a different label.
1: For- I mean, that, that is kind of what you said at the beginning, right, Chris, is that Theonomist, there's so many different ideas of like what a theonomist is it's kind of kind of a well,
2: yeah, I, mean, I, I, yeah. Don't, I don't want to speak for gary north or greg bonson i mean i, I really don't because I'm, I'm not sure i mean i when, when my reading and, and you might have the specific quotes i mean i don't i don't think any of them would say we're under the old covenant i don't think any of them would ever say that i think they'd say we're in the new covenant um they, they might word it differently and if most of them are Pado baptists they might have the view that the Old Covenant is an administration of the Covenant of Grace, which I don't agree with, but I don't think they say we're, we're under the Old Covenant. Now, I maybe, need to correct
3: myself. Under the Mosaic Law, not right. under the
2: Old Covenant. You, you did say Mosaic Law, but I think that sometimes, that, that is confused as well, and it sometimes equates with the Old Covenant in people's mind, and sometimes it doesn't. Um, and, and that that's something that needs to be hammered out. I mean, is, is the Mosaic Law equivalent to the Old Covenant, or is the Mosaic Law something else? Um mm-hmm. My understanding would be that, generally speaking, in Galatians, for example, when Paul says, you know, the law was added, I think there he's referring to the Old Covenant. And so in that sense, if you want to say the Mosaic law was added, but Moses didn't, the Ten Commandments didn't start with Moses. And even the application of them in society didn't start with Moses. Mm -hmm. The Old Covenant, the law was re-given, if you will, it was a a re-giving of the law with more specific application. So I, I don't know, I, I, don't, I don't think I'm competent to defend Gary North or Greg Bonson, um, but I, I would say that giving them the benefit of the doubt, I think there's definitely some confusion or maybe uh, lack of clarification on the difference between the Old Covenant and Mosaic Law.
3: Well, I think their view, and, and Bonson argues it very clearly in, um, by, by this standard or by mm-hmm. what standard, uh, in Matthew 5.18, their view is the tripart view of the law, moral-civil-ceremonial. Ceremonial has been fulfilled, but we're still under the moral-civil. And of course, we would agree, we're under the moral-civil, or I'm sorry, we're under the moral, just because the moral's universal, not because the moral's, you know, mm-hmm. um, an aspect of the Mosaic Law. But then he would say, we're still under the civil aspect of the Mosaic Law, we're just not under the ceremonial aspect. So I think they argue pretty clearly that we're still in the Mosaic Law, but we're under two thirds of the Mosaic Law.
2: Yeah, I mean, his his premise, and and also in uh, Theonomy and Christian ethics is Ma- the Matthew five teaches that you you accept all of God's word as binding unless the word of God um, changes that. Yeah. And mm-hmm. his his position is the the more the application of the moral law is binding, so that i agree with i mean and i think for example and and he actually in that book i mean since since we're talking about that he he gives you an illustration of a new testament passage of the um the good samaritan and you know this passage where the the understanding i think we would agree is that we are to take that parable and apply it to our day which it doesn't apply 100 percent directly we we don't at least in America, we don't have roadside inns. We're not going to take people uh, there, and you know, on our donkey, and pay with with the denarii or whatever. Mm-hmm. We have to take principles from the parable of the good Samaritan and apply them to today, and mm-hmm. that's why he's saying that. And he's saying that's it's the same thing in the Old Testament, but mm-hmm. but the civil law is the application of the moral law.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. So we need to take if, if the moral law is applied in the Old Testament, that is binding on us to apply it. Now we, now we can have a Bible study and we can disagree on application, but I think we should be doing. I think we should be talking about that. It, it, does, it does the Old Testament Scripture, how does it apply today?
1: I mm-hmm. mean,
2: the, the application of uh, you know, thou shalt not steal. In, it, the, the Mosaic law, if you were, in the Old Covenant, the application of that law is, okay, if someone is stealing, they need to make restitution. Mm-hmm. Do, do, does that principle apply to the civil magistrate today? Yeah. And I, yes. Yeah. And amen. Yeah. And, and and so I think that's that's the heart of, of theonomy. See, if we agree on that, mm-hmm. then you you know let's start there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Bonson's, it, Bonson's not saying you drop in, you know, you drop in the old the old the Old Testament straight onto American society because you can't even do that with the New Testament. So i don't want to spend too much time on Bonson north because again I right can't right speak.
1: Mm-hmm. right so
0: is that isn't that essentially general equity theonomy or is there is there a difference there or
2: yeah i, I really i'm not sure how much those terms help because <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> e- even bonson would say we we got to and, and i would argue in the new testament we have disagreements you know how do we we agree like i think we'd have really clear agreement that the new testament is fully bi- i mean i hope the new testament is fully binding on us under the covenant but we still disagree on how things apply. Do we still have to with mm-hmm. each other with a kiss, or is just the principle there—the thing that we're, you know—is binding on us? Do we have to show brotherly affection? Yeah, so, that is
1: that is interesting. So it sounds like you both agree with each other that the principle—is that right, Pastor Nate? It sounded like you were agreeing with him that the principle does apply. Like today, like that should be yeah. the case. You would agree yeah. with that?
3: When people explain, for the most part that they hold to general equity and by the time they get through explaining i say that's me but i'm not a theonomist because i know yeah. what the historic roots of theonomy are and i think it's i think the historic roots are are not good because okay. they are saying we're under a, a mosaic system but i realize we're we're talking about the finer points now because in fact i was relieved the first time i i watched um doug wilson explain what he meant by theonomy i i realized well by the explanation, I don't have a lot of difference. Hmm. Now, when he, you know, fleshes some of the particular details out, and that's what where the debate is. Like, what does that yeah. look like? So,
1: so yeah, so like, for instance, could you give us an instance of something that...
3: Well, here's 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 a good example, and I think this also gets to the heart of theonomy. Chris, you had mentioned Poitras. There's this really fascinating article online where Poitras challenges any theonomist to give an exegetical explanation for Leviticus 19.19, because it's not ceremonial. So how does Leviticus 19.19 apply today? Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, Leviticus 19.19 says, you are to keep my statutes, you shall not breed together two kinds of your cattle, and you shall not sow your field with two kinds of seeds, nor wear a garment upon you of two kinds of material mixed together. So he kind of, you know, puts the, um, puts the challenge out there. And um, Gary North takes up the challenge. And it's fascinating to read it because he basically says, well, um, the agriculture. Okay, so this verse is condemning the hybridizing of um, animals and plants. So you got to keep it separate. So then Gary North goes into how the fields keeping agriculture separate is like the 12 tribes maintaining their separation yeah. in order to preserve the bloodline of the Messiah. So the people from Judah can't be intermarrying with the people of the Levites and all that. You know, you got to keep it pure for the Messiah. So he like does this borderline allegory where. Anti-hybridization laws parallel the purity of the messianic line so that when Christ comes, he fulfills all the anti-hybrid laws, and therefore, based on um redemptive historic hermeneutic, that law no longer applies today. So he uses this redemptive historic hermeneutic, which in my opinion is like a magic wand you wave over a law that you don't want to apply anymore. You just show (laughs) how somehow it's fulfilled in Christ, and you don't have to apply it anymore. Well, Rush Dooney, his view on that is, yes, it's we're under the Mosaic system, so um, GMOs are evil, like high, high hybrid animals, hybrid plants. This is playing God. Hybridization leads to sterilization. And Rush Dooney just goes on and on and on about the evils of it. But by the time I got through, you know, reading Rush doing this whole section, I said, here's a guy who is consistent in theonomy, because he's looking at, you know, the, these plain um, statements, again, against hybridizing, and he's applying it to the, 21st, well, to, to the 20th century, <laughs> and um, he's saying, don't do it. God, God already told us not to do it. Um, so he's pretty inflexible. But so you have you have two theonomists, Gary North and Rush who are who disagree on, you know, how this that how this is to be applied. But that might so that was Polyphorus's challenge, a not a non-theonomist. That's his challenge to theonomists is what do you do with this particular law?
2: Well, so, I yeah, I think that's an example of I'm not sure how, how helpful it is because I could turn that around and say my challenge to all the non-theonomists is to explain to me what this law meant in context in ancient Israel. Mm-hmm. And I'm pretty sure I'll get some different answers. Um, you know, the, the yeah. fact of the matter all of scripture is profitable for teaching and correction. So there, there is something in this passage that is profitable. Now I'm not going to be able to sit here and you know open every passage and exegete it on the spot. But this is what happens I think often with theonomy. People who are trying to to say how is this prof- how is this passage profitable? How does it apply today? And then because there are different views, the, the non theonomists and write off the theonomists and say you guys can't even agree. But the non theonomists are going to have disagreements about this passage. If you ask me right now, I don't know exactly how this passage applies to us. There's passages in the New Testament that I'd say that about. I don't see how that applies to the overall premise here that. All of Scripture is profitable, and when we do, when we can understand it, there's some things that are harder to understand than others. I mean, I think that's a biblical principle uh, mm-hmm. that Peter said. But the things that we can clearly understand, how can we apply them? So, yeah, I, I don't, you know, I don't know how that one specifically applies. I would also say that I, I'm not sure. I haven't come to the same conclusion as you with, with some of the theonomists saying we're we're under the old covenant. I, I think there's some nuance there. But we'll leave that as a lie I understand what you're saying and, and I in the end I'm not I'm not married to the term theonomy um, I, I would like to look at you know these passages and I would love to do a study on Leviticus 19 uh, 9 or 19 there and, and and study you know how does this apply I think there's an application there at the very mm-hmm. least um, but I, I don't think that's a a because I'm not simp- I'm not saying simply the Old Covenant law I'm saying all of Scripture yes Most of the Old Testament was not under the Old Covenant, Mm -hmm. but, you know, for 2,500 years before Moses, there was still the moral law, and God applied things, you know, so, you know, if we agree that, like, we talked about theft, and I guess I would want to ask you this question, and if you feel I haven't, I've dodged your question, I can try to answer again, but does the civil magistrate today, are they responsible to publicly acknowledge Christ as a civil magistrate?
3: yeah, I think that's the obligation of all image bearers is to acknowledge the Creator and to acknowledge Christ as king. Uh, Psalm two, you know they better now kiss the sun. Um, yeah, so I, I would say I would say yes.
2: okay. so if we if we look at the Old Testament, old old covenant scriptures and we we see, okay, Here's an application. You mentioned the Ten Commandments, and we'd say, "Hey, here's an application. It's a clear application of the Ten Commandments, uh, of the moral law being applied in society, and this is what the Bible says should happen to the one who does X, Y, or Z." Do, do those pr- if the, do those principles still apply to to the modern state?
3: Yeah, absolutely.
2: I think I think
3: one factor, and I don't have all the answers to it, but here's a fact to throw out here. there. Every single time the New Testament quotes the Mosaic Law, like a specific instance of the Mosaic Law, it's applied to the Church. I'm not saying mm-hmm. that the Mosaic Law can't be applied to the government, but I think it's important to realize Israel as a nation maps over to the Church. Israel as a nation does not map over to the government. Um, so, for example, in Second um, Corinthians 9 9, where it's don't muzzle the ox, you know, that is a Mosaic law that's taken that is applied uh, specifically to, you know, pay pastors. You know, <laughs> a laborer mm-hmm. is worthy, worthy of his wages. Um, 1 Corinthians 5, where Paul says, purge or remove the wicked man from among you, he borrows language from the death penalty. So he's taking a death penalty term and applying it to church discipline. So you have to think, what's going on in Paul's mind where he's taking the Mosaic Law, but he wants it to see it fleshed out, and his primary examples are fleshed out within the local church. So I'm not saying Mosaic Law shouldn't be fleshed out at the government level. I'm just saying, I think it makes a difference when we look at the Mosaic Law and we map it over immediately to the magistrate, well, maybe that's maybe that's secondary. Maybe primary is how the church is supposed to be dealing with the covenant community because America is not a covenant
2: community. The church is a covenant community. So hopefully that's clear. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in 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 the Old Testament itself, God indicts the pagan na- nations as well for their mm-hmm. injustice, for, for their breaking of the. And in one fact I think in Isaiah he says they've broken the everlasting covenant. Um, and I know a lot of people don't want will go back to the Noahic covenant, but the certainly there is more focus on the civil rulers in the Old Testament. I grant that. I mean, there's a lot more books. There's a lot more real estate there, first of all. Um, but God does indict the the pagan nations for their sin, and sin is a violation of God's law. You know, Romans 13 though says that the you know the civil ruler bears the sword. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, if by what standard should they punish? evil. Mm -hmm. Yeah,
3: yeah. by by the moral law of God that is articulated in the Word of God.
2: Okay. So what would be... it, It seems like I've gotten so far... One of your big concerns with theonomy was more the theological aspect that this system teaches were under the Old Covenant or Mosaic Law, and again, I think there's sometimes people put those together, sometimes they separate them. I can understand that that if someone's teaching hey we're under the old covenant or that's how it's interpreted also you're saying you know israel then maps over to the church we Mm. might be able to get into some of that we might not but practically speaking if we agree that the principles of god's word apply to the civil magistrate and we should apply these laws against theft against murder to modern times where's the where's the cash value difference here um, and would it would it be wrong to say, hey, th- this was a system that God instituted?
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Would it be wrong to apply that? If we have, I mean, we have nations today. We have Uganda, uh, and there's another. My pastors are going to. Uh, my pastor is going to a, another African nations where the nation where there's some people who are saying you know, they want a Christian nation.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Would would it be? This is one of my questions, and I think people have tried to answer it. And would it be wrong to apply the? The civil law in the Old Testament to a modern state?
3: I don't. I think there's, I think you have to have a lot of caveats. You have to understand that Israel was a unique geopolitical ethnic nation that entered into a particular conditional covenant with Yahweh God um, in order to remain in a particular land. Uh, I think when you understand that there's there's a uniqueness to the state of Israel, uh, a uniqueness to the Mosaic code, that that allows you to ask: Is every single law meant to be mapped over? So, I mean, maybe blasphemy law is a good example. Um, um, Massachusetts Bay Colony executed blasphemers. Well, that makes sense in a covenant nation under smoldering Mount Sinai, you know, where God says, are you going to follow me? All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Alright. Um, you've entered into that covenant. Um, to have uh, a secular nation, um, and I realize we were um, the whole western civilization principles upon which we're founded but you have a nation that is by and large um, rebellious against God is God's desire for a just government to execute every blasphemer in the United States uh, I ask that question understanding it would be absolutely just for God
2: to execute every blasphemer um, would it be just for the civil magistrate though would it be what? Would it be just for the civil magistrate? Obviously, God could execute anybody mm. for any sin.
3: Right. So that's that's the question. Does God want human magistrates penalizing a non-covenantal people the way he penalized a covenantal people? That's probably a good way to put it. So Massachusetts Bay Colony says yes. And we can just imagine the body count in the United
2: States. <laughs> Yeah, I, think, I think that's a caricature, though. I mean, there's no no, no nation is going to... You're not going to adopt uh, biblical law by a small minority. I mean, even in the Old Testament, you have these cases where the people apostatize and then they come back as a whole and covenant together and say, we, we want to be under this law. I mean, you think of Nehemiah and the people, and they're weeping and crying because they've, they've cast God's law behind their back. They come freely back under the law of God. So certainly, you know, no 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 one that I know is saying, "Hey, we we're going to implement biblical law and uh the, you know, everybody's going to be executed." I mean, let's just start with murder. I mean, we're not even there. I mean, right. if we executed all the murderers, uh you know, I don't know how many people have have paid hitmen to abort their babies. So again, I think that argument would have to apply to that too, and then we'd have to say, "Well, if you're arguing for the death penalty for murder, you got to think about how many people will be executed. Like, that's not what we're, we're saying. If you have a society that wants to protect themselves from the judgment of God and the ravages of sin, for example, in Uganda, saying, you know what? We do not want sodomy here. It's going to destroy our society. I don't agree with their penalty life in prison, but I agree with them saying we want to outlaw sodomy. And if you are caught in the act, it is a criminal offense and they the, democratically, which is kind of funny, because the left is like, "Oh, democracy," and then over here you have <laughs> Uganda people, you know, embracing this law. And the question has to come down to: Is that just or unjust? And I think the best that someone who would say, "You know what? I, I don't really like applying this." The best they could say is, "Well, Uganda is free to do that. It's mm-hmm. not unjust for them to criminalize sodomy." Mm-hmm. And if we can start there. I think that's a good place to start.
3: Mm-hmm. And I. Think
2: have similar discussions with blasphemy and idolatry, um, mm-hmm. because we're not talking about a, a top-down thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, any, any of this, any of these capital offenses is very high maintenance. It's something that the people have to be involved in. It's not done behind closed doors by some executioner. Um, mm-hmm. it's society that wants to protect themselves from the judgment of God, and because mm-hmm. our society has abandoned that. We don't we don't deal with adultery. We don't deal with sodomy. We don't deal with murder. God is bringing the death penalty on our nation, on mm-hmm. our nation. So, you know that that's where I'd go. I would go. I think if mm-hmm. if if we can't say hey, you know the execution of a sodom, sodomite is not unjust. You know, mm-hmm. if we can say it's not unjust, then then I would say okay, well maybe we can apply this today. I mean, at least let's start somewhere, right. Yeah, so I guess, I guess I'm just saying, uh,
3: if if the penalties for covenant people should be the same as penalties for a non-covenant people, then then go for it. Like I'm I'm in the theonomy camp.
2: Should every nation covenant with Christ?
3: They should on an evangelism level, and then if it ends up um, changing the government, I mean that's what we all we all hope for. So then that would be a conflict, but, but I think um, I think some of the blackest eyes that have been given to the Reformation is when um, is when the state started to wield the power of the church. Um, I mean, you have you have the whole um, Michael Servetus, you have. Um, some of the reformers persecution of the Anabaptists so you have the power of the sword being handed to the church or the the government thinking has the ecclesiastical power of of executions so I I think it's a very you know of course we want everyone to be saved, we want everyone following the Word of God but there is something about um, the fallenness of man and the corrupting powers of the government and there are these many cautionary tales, you know, within history of, um, you know, even, even reformation visiting um, political offices, Oliver Cromwell, things like that. And for whatever reason, they, they didn't go well. So I just think there's a, there's a lot in history that would caution us to just say, yes, let's go Christianize the government and just imagine that it's just going to go well.
2: No, I mean, I think, I can, I'm can. i sympathetic to, to much of that being a Baptist, but I think that we need to be able to say either that was an abuse of biblical law or that was a right use of it. And if it was an abuse, then by all means, let's consider it, let's look at what they got wrong, and let's not do that. Mm-hmm. But I'm, I'm not arguing, I don't think the Bible teaches that the state uh, wields the sword on behalf of the church. Mm-hmm. I would say even the examples of of idolatry i don't know if we're gonna have time to get into that but it's not it's not the church it's not the state wielding the sword on behalf of the church they're separate spheres um so the, the, i would say those are abuses um so I, you know we can we can deal with those but that doesn't you know address the real issue because we still have to answer these questions right, right? And i think a lot of this is we we look at this through the eyes of, of statism that we've kind of been just brought up in. And we think that anything about law is going to be applied in the statist way. Mm-hmm. That's how we experience law in America. The government tells us something and we are forced to do it. And if we don't do it, here are the consequences. I mean, I, can't even, I couldn't even go out and buy raw milk in Delaware, right, at the time I was there. So we have the statist mindset that, the, you know, the government's top-down authority. And that's how it is in America. But that's not biblical law. Mm-hmm. biblical law is, is very localized um, mm-hmm. so I agree there's been abuses but I would just say those were abuses. Um, those were not right so here's something
3: um, you know that, that I look at that I wrestle with. Uh, you have like Leviticus 27 which is the oaths of evalu- evaluation. Um, so you make an oath and you can say I make this oath and and, and my valuation is my house. well that's pretty expensive, you know or my valuation is my goat, you know, whatever. Well, Jesus shows up and he rebukes the Pharisees, and then he says, you know, you don't swear by the gold in the temple, you don't swear by it. you let your yes be yes and your no be no. So we know he's rebuking the religious leaders who think they can make kind of serious oaths, not so serious o's, and just depends on, you know. But when he says, when you make an oath, let your yes be yes and your no be no, That seems different than Leviticus 27, where you have a whole gradation. So to me, that's one example of Jesus saying something that isn't an exact lockstep with the Mosaic Law. Or you have where Jesus permits divorce in the case of adultery. So the punishment for the adulterer is becoming, you know, is, is being divorced from their spouse in, in that sense. Or you have, you know, Roman First uh, Corinthians chapter 5, where you have this incestuous relationship um, and the penalty put on that person is being put out of the church and there's no mention of of execution. But he does borrow an execution passage from Deuteronomy and apply it to... It's almost like he's saying hey, remember that passage in the Old Testament on executing an adulterer? Well, I would like to apply it to church discipline. Almost like that's the New Testament expression. Um, So I see some passages like that that doesn't seem like Jesus or Paul in these particular instances feels an obligation to um, carry... That old covenant expression, over in all its detail. Um, but then, when you you know you go to Hebrews, where it says if if there change, um, if there's a change in uh, the priesthood. There's a change in the law also, and it talks about the change of the law. There seems to be enough evidence where just a sort of blind the laws for the covenant people are the laws for the non-covenant people. I would say, just by way of illustration, 95% of the Mosaic laws, amen, you know, apply them in the magistrate, but to just blindly say, because it was just to kill blasphemers in the Old Covenant, you know, that should be the goal as a Christian nation where blasphemers are executed. Um, I'm just wondering if that's how God wants us to be using the law uh, when his focus is on the church in the new covenant um as it was his focus on israel and in, in the old covenant and we're supposed to live under governments and influence and and seek change um but the reality is for two thousand years we haven't made a whole lot of
2: headway <laughs> <I would laughs> I mean, disagree with that. seasons of revival but I, I would disagree with that but there's a lot there alex did you want to
1: I I did I, I had a question, uh, Pastor Nate, because you you were talking about um, how you know how the, you're not sure how, if that applies uh, if if the law applies directly. You said like you agree with ninety five percent, but mm-hmm. what then would be your standard for applying those in government? Like why? How do you pick and choose what you do apply? Versus, and is there a right or a wrong? You know, like is it is it actually sinful to require um, non-covenant people, like you said, to follow these laws? Is it is it Mm -hmm. actually wrong for the government to require them to to uh, to follow those? Um, I just I'm I'm having a hard time understanding. Like, where where's your standard at? Like, what is your view on this because it seems like you do kind of agree with some of the thing like like yeah i agree that we should put you know those things in the law but mm-hmm. not everything um and i mean obviously chris i'm sure he wouldn't say everything applied but you know he he has a, a kind of a standard that he's that he seems to have set and i'm
3: just interested in what yours is like if if a law seems to be pretty tied to the uniqueness of israel's situation um so, Levirate law. Like, I don't think anybody's pushing for uh, a woman whose husband dies needs to marry the single brother-in-law. All right. <laughs> well, that's just that was the way tribes worked back then. That was the close-knit family. That's. But why can't we say, well, that was just. That's that's what should be done. Well, we understand the way the vulnerability of women in the Old Testament is not the same as the vulnerability of women in the New Testament. Um, but but there's leverett law, so leverett law to me is a law that is tied to Israel's unique situation and I'm sure there's a there's a general principle there right protect the vulnerable, but that's not again mm-hmm. that's not theonomy. theonomy is it's not just the principle it's it's the code the code is
2: just the code needs to be needs to be brought in um I'll push back a little bit again to Sythe Bonson. He, he, he refutes that a little bit and says, look, we don't even do that with the New Testament. We don't take the New Testament and apply it as a code to us today. We take the principles. So at, at, at least I'm comfortable with that. I mean, because, again, we, we, even with the New Testament, we look at it sometimes and say, man, this doesn't apply exactly to us. Mm-hmm. There's two thousand years here. What's the principle that we are bound by? And I think that's a, a more fair place to start with theonomy, but
1: okay, yeah. interesting. So,
2: well, I, I, maybe
3: another example would be like um, would be like the the manslayer, like if if, if somebody's killed, uh, well, you you get to if your family, you get to take their life unless they beat you to the uh, city of refuge. Right. Um, so that, that's difficult to understand. Okay, it, if I'm a theonomist, I feel obligated to bring that into the New Covenant. If I'm not a theonomist, I can say well, I'm going to wrestle with that, I'm going to try to get that to the bottom of that, but I'm not under the Mosaic Law. So I understand there's there's some sort of general principle there about, about justice, but because Israel's a unique nation and a unique situation, I don't feel this great obligation that if I don't understand this, there's going to be a giant hole in my understanding of justice, which I think I would be feeling if
2: I was a Jew. Well, I think we should treat the whole Bible that way. I mean, there's still passages in the New Testament that that I feel like I still don't fully understand. I mean, you know, head coverings might be one. Like I, mm-hmm. I the best I can with what I have there, and I think in a case like that, you know, you're, you're not going to, you know, some obscure passage and. you know if you don't execute it and i just want to emphasize too you know we talk about the government a lot again it's the people that want to apply the law of god the people as a whole come together and say we want this so we got to get statism out of our mind that we're going to go to the government and say hey enforce biblical law for the small minority of christians on a whole nation uh that's just not going to happen um you know you mentioned the, the cities of refuge I mean, I would look at that, and I wouldn't be the first one to say, yeah, we do need to look at the Old Testament. Is there something clearly that applied just to Israel? I mean, we talk about uh, the Levites. We talk about the priesthood. We talk about the boundaries of the land. We talk about these cities that were specifically given in that nation. I'm, I'm totally comfortable saying, look, we don't have cities of refuge, but there's a principle there that we do need to apply, and that gets us really into... Uh, first-degree murder, involuntary manslaughter, and so on and so forth. So I think we need to apply those things. But Mm -hmm. the general principle I would say is, and uh, I forget the guy It was, well, Cebius in the 17th century, if it's a clear application of the moral law to the civil realm, it's fairly straightforward. But I think all of us should feel obligated to study Scripture as much as we can and say, hey, how does this apply? Uh, And so I don't think that's a unique burden on the theonomists, because I think we'd all say all of Scripture is profitable for instruction um how does it apply i would also say i think we have made immense headway in 2000 years um there's a lot more work to do and Mm -hmm. we're definitely backsliding right now um as a nation for sure but you know i think the the christianity totally transformed western civilization but there's so much there. You brought up uh, quite a bit there with, with Levante. I,
3: I would agree. I would agree with that. I, that was probably an overstatement on my part. I think I was more specifically looking at progress within government, but I definitely see. I mean, there's that wonderful book, um, How Christian um, Changed the World? Exactly.
2: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so right. I, I agree. You know, um, you mentioned you mentioned the church and 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 the you know the new testament is now for for the church this new covenant yeah. people but but we kind of agreed at the beginning that psalm 2 christ christ demands all the nations to submit to him and i think that's applied clearly in the new covenant in acts chapter 4 i believe that that the apostles apply that to today so if it's true that christ demands all the kings of the earth and by extension all people to submit to him and that there's any hope of success of that mission then I think it's fair to ask, what would those people want their laws to be? And can we look to the the Old Testament Scripture and the New Testament and say, how can we apply the civil law of God to today? How how can it be applied? And let's wrestle through each and every one of those passages, and I would be fine if if we say, look, you know, does this seem like it was a clear application to Israel? Because we do the same thing in the New Testament. We say, well, the holy kiss, that was a cultural thing. Paul calls on these churches to greet one another the holy kiss let's bring in our historical grammatical hermeneut let's study the text let's do the same thing with the old and if we have these ten commandments that clearly preceded moses and are applied throughout the, uh, the old covenant uh, and we even have jesus you know I, i'd love to get into all those uh, quotes you you've mentioned of jesus but jesus also in matthew 15 cited the law and said you know god said whoever curses his father and mother let him be put to death mm-hmm. so I wouldn't say just in passing, and we might that, that Jesus was in any way negating the old covenant law. I even with the adultery, he's this was given for your hardness of heart, mm-hmm. but it shouldn't be so. Um, and you also mentioned one of the the, the first Corinthians. I, I don't think that's an argument against the fact that adultery could be a capital offense just because Paul's dealing with the church there. Um, I agree, most of the New Testament is addressed to the Church, but we don't just have the New Testament. And I don't think the New Testament contradicts the application of the law of God to the civil sphere, because then Romans 13, the civil government bears the sword. Mm-hmm. By what standard can they punish evil, and, and who, should, who, who who do they have the authority to punish? And I think it's not a status thing, it should be you know with the people, but those are some of the things I, I think we still really need to wrestle with. Uh, yeah. I, think, I did want to ask you this question, um, and I think you kind of answered it, and, and and I think what happens then is, I think this inevitably morphs into, and maybe it's fair, it morphs into kind of a, our view of what is going to happen, and we get into pre-millennialism, post-millennialism, do we have any expectation that the nations will bow the knee to Christ, you know, this side of Christ's return, and and I think we do, I know we might disagree on that, but I do think that comes into play, because some of the questions I'll ask you know, people might be like, well, that's a silly question. It's never going to happen. But I think we're seeing, and we have seen and throughout history, and you, you know, you mentioned the New England Puritans, and we could disagree maybe on some of their application. I would say patient of biblical law that ended the Salem witch trials and things like that, that would be in Europe at a massive scale, and they started to do it here, and it was nixed by the Puritans, and then sure. that was the end of it. So I think there's a lot of good to the Puritan law. Uh, did they do it perfectly? Probably not. But we so we see throughout history the application of biblical law. We see today countries like Uganda at least wrestling with this. And I, I think it's fair to say if a people freely want to honor Christ, could they institute these, these punishments for the idolater, the open idolater? for example. And, and in the old testament, idolatry was closely linked to serving false gods. So I think the modern analogy would be if Uganda and, and they're a better example now than America was like, Hey, we're also gonna Transgenderism. And if you come in promoting this and start serving your pagan God in this way, we will execute you. Hmm. I think it we'll would be just. Would you agree?
3: Um, your last statement if a
2: transgender said. If, if a transgender priest or priestess, I'm using that term to refer to someone who's promoting that religion, because I believe it's clearly a religion transgenderism it has its own value system they have their own you know code of blasphemy um in the right. old covenant idolatry was related to serving the false gods it wasn't just a mental belief oh you believe in a false god we're next you know it was, it was related to service don't go and serve those gods don't serve those don't you know don't serve the way you serve those gods hmm. so if, if the nation of uganda said if you come into our nation or if you are in our nation and you are serving the god of transgenderism, Mm -hmm. and you are uh, promoting this idea and and even carving up kids, Mm -hmm. that's how you're serving your god. We will execute you. Mm -hmm. Now, maybe you want more nuance to that, but I'm trying to to lay it out. Would would that be be a just application of uh, the capital execution, the execution for an idolater? I believe that would be just for god to do
3: i'm not convinced that that is the role of a non-covenant government and i so a question i would have is remember that incident in the old testament where um naaman is healed of leprosy and he goes back um to his land and he says uh, would you pardon me because basically the king leans on my arm and we go into my, you know, temple, false god, and there he bows, and basically I'm going to assist him to his false temple, Mm -hmm. and then Elijah permits him. He says, I'm going to, (laughs) I I will pardon you, I I will allow it, basically. Um, To me, that's an amazing statement. I think any theonomist would answer that question, no way. (laughs) Uh, No, because all the other nations are supposed to do exactly what, Israel does, but instead you have Elijah pardoning him, uh, permitting him to do that. Now, I realize that is a descriptive, not prescriptive, but I can never get over Elijah's answer there. Um, and it's passages like those that that I wonder if they're a window into a community that is non-covenantal.
2: I, I'm having a hard time understanding this, you know, you keep saying um, so. Coven- non-covenantal versus covenantal. Um, is it po- like I, I guess I, I think we're maybe we still disagree. Is it possible for there to be a covenantal nation today? Is that even possible? Because if that's not possible, then your argument is flawless. Because if your argument is non covenanted people can't apply these things, and there there can never be a non covenanted people again, then that's kind of the end of the discussion. And I just have to argue with you on that point. So, can there be a covenantal to people today? I guess if an entire nation became
3: Christian and wanted to rewrite all their laws and restitution to be 100 percent Christian, and they covenant before God to be a Christian nation, I guess theoretically it could be possible. Okay. But the obligation that Israel had was even if every citizen is a Baal worshiper, you guys have covenanted at Mount Sinai, so the prophets and the kings are supposed to go in there and clean house. I think that's different. Um,
2: well, originally they weren't supposed to have a king. They they asked for one, right? And and they they apostatized and then freely came back. I don't know why it has to be a hundred percent, but I guess you're granting that. And, and and I'm fine to start there. You know, if a people freely come to embrace, and if you need one hundred percent for sake of argument, so be it. But you know, again, I don't think it. I don't think it's necessarily. Uh, an argument against what should a nation do? What should a community do? Uh, maybe go down to a lower level that wants to honor Christ. I mean, there have been very small communities that started, you know, and they—I mean, the pilgrims coming over here—they wanted to honor Christ. Now, there wasn't 100% of them were believers, but I guess the parallel to me for that—that that na- uh, the passage you talked about would be modern-day America, which is a uh, uh, a pagan nation worshiping pagan gods and someone comes to you and says, you know, I need to go um, uh, paint the uh, parking lot at Planned Parenthood. Can I do it? That's my job. Um, you know, if, if we would ever say, well, there may be some instance where you can participate somehow in this, I think there might be a parallel there. But but that doesn't again that doesn't deal with the fact. What would a righteous nation do? Would a righteous nation have a Planned Parenthood? Would a righteous nation have a temple to a pagan god? That's really what I'm trying to get at. If we have a people that are changed by the gospel and they want to have a just society, that's what we're talking about here. And I think I think that's just a red herring to say, well, there are cases where you have these pagan nations. You know how do you how do you act in those? I mean, that's a different discussion. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Yeah. I think if, if if the nation if Christ calls on the kings of the earth to kiss the sun and he calls them to do it right now, then they are obligated I mean maybe you don't like that term, you disagree on that term, but they are obligated to bow the knee to Christ and commit to obeying him in every area of life. They're to obey so if, if they're if they're
3: obligated to immediate obedience immediate execution of consumers be okay.
2: If tomorrow we
3: got a reformed Baptist president and all the police force was reformed.
2: <laughs> In a theocracy, there'd be no police force. And the, the responsibility for to execute capital offenders is people. The one who makes the accusation has to throw the first stone. And there has to be two or three witnesses. And it has to be a public event. And it's done by the people. See, even the idea of a police force and a president is modern notion of statism. And so there's so much to unpack. So I can appreciate someone like you saying, we can't just coming up this wholesale. And none of us are promoting that. We know it's not going to happen probably in my lifetime, or, you know, I I think it will happen eventually, but that takes us into our eschatology. But Mm -hmm. I think that's another example is there's a lot of work to do here, but start by saying, if there was a nation that wanted to honor Christ, I'll grant you the 100% number, and then someone apostatized or someone comes in, you know, is the only thing they can execute murderers? I mean, or can we only go to the Noahic Covenant, or can we look at the, the law applied under Moses and say, well, this is a clear application of the, one of the Ten Commandments, and can we say they executed these people? We we can do the same if we have to. I mean, I know a lot of people make the argument that murder was the only one that had to be executed. Again, those are exegetical questions that I don't think are relevant to the main thesis, because we can have those disagreements, and what. I will actually mean here to say we have those disagreements in the New Testament, but can we apply the moral law of God to the civil realm as in the Old Testament? You know, are there just—probably, right? I don't think we have cities of refuge, but can we apply these things? I think we can. And I think if we start there, and that's where I I wanted to start, that are the nations, are the people—I mean, we say nations, we get back into the status thing and the government— Are the people required to obey Christ, all of them? If they are, then I think these are fair questions to ask and answer.
0: Left you on a cliffhanger, huh? Well, you'll just have to wait until next time. We will have an episode, um, maybe a couple episodes, before our second part to this podcast. Um, But, yeah, be looking forward to that. I do want to just real quickly plug our... uh, Sponsor Squatch Away. Use the code SRB2023 to get 10% off your entire purchase. So go check them out. Thanks for listening, guys.